This is Radio Sustain, a journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. Brought to you by IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. IATP is celebrating 25 years of working for food justice. I'm Andrew Ranallo at IATP in Minneapolis. Today's Radio Sustain looks at food from all angles. First, an issue of justice in food service. In late January, just 10 blocks north of IATP's office in Minneapolis, a boisterous crowd braved five-degree temperatures to march in front of the well-known burrito chain Chipotle. The restaurant touts food with integrity, but was under fire over its mistreatment of workers. According to varied estimates, a few weeks before Christmas, Chipotle fired, without notice, between 350 and 700 immigrant workers in Minnesota, and at least some were fired without being paid back wages. We spoke with former employee Maria Cortez. At my store there were 13 workers. That we're, we're seeking the truth and we're seeking uh, to get the company to sit down and engage in dialogue with us because they have refused to. Chipotle has been a national leader in sourcing environmentally friendly food from family farms, often within regional food networks. The company has told the media that it is simply following the law after being subjected to a 1-9 audit by U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement. But it is standard practice for employers to give employees 90 days to clear up any problems with their immigration documents, according to the Service Employees International Union, or SEIU. Instead, Chipotle fired employees in question immediately. SEIU also believes Chipotle has potentially violated a number of Minnesota state employment laws. We're here because we're, we're looking for our rights. We're seeking that our rights be respected. And the main thing that we're asking for is for them to sit down at the table to talk to us about what's going on. They have closed, they've closed off dialogue with us, and that's why we're here today. Unfortunately, according to the Star Tribune, dialogue has not been opened. Since the protests, checks and back wages have been issued to the fired employees, but the company has admitted no wrongdoing. In a new development, a group of the former employees have filed a lawsuit against the company alleging that it didn't comply with a Minnesota law requiring all back pay to be distributed promptly. Fairness to workers is an issue throughout the entire food system. Where a restaurant chooses to source their food can be an issue of justice as well. One local restaurant, Common Roots on Lindale Avenue in Minneapolis, gives new meaning to the words due diligence when sourcing its local, fair trade, and organic menu while eliminating waste throughout the process. Owner Danny Schwartzman explains. When we were getting started, I was 
I thought it was going to be a big um, a big challenge to source the local food at the level we want. Uh, you know, I want it to be a, a showcase of, of local and organic um, and really to have almost everything be local and organic. And I thought that would be challenging. And I found that there are lots of great providers to work with and there's lots of great farmers. And if you're committed to it, even in Minnesota, it's relatively easy, if it's what you do, to source at least 50% local and organic. I mean, we do 50% local year-round. Um, our average for the year is, is right, hovers right above 50%. Um, and in, and that's, that's in the winter as well. Um, and, that's because, and that's by dollar spent. Every purchase we make, we track. So every single invoice, every month when I pay it, I code every line in it, local, organic, fair trade, and we actually code it even in more detail than that. And so I, we, have, we have data since day one. And by dollars spent, even in the middle of the winter, we hover right around 50% local, and that's because all of our protein, all of our meat, all of our dairy, all of our grain is local all year, and then you add in dried goods and some, some greenhouse-grown tomatoes and some other wild rice from northern Minnesota, things like that, and adds up to a, a significant amount of purchases, even when it's not produce. And so in the summer, we, we really go up in produce. Can you tell us about the, um, the composting? We started composting right when we opened. Um, we work with Eureka Recycling, which is a local nonprofit that's all about reducing waste and educating people about that. And we were one of the first restaurants to pilot their composting program to do commercial composting. So twice a week, we, our dumpster gets picked up by and Eureka gets that compost to a commercial composting facility uh, that turns it into nutrient-rich soil. And so we use, we use all reusable plates and everything else at the cafe and try and actually eliminate the waste before it starts. So we serve keg beer, which is better, it's cheaper, it tastes better, and there aren't any bottles and there's less environmental impact. Same thing with, you know, we try and avoid single service things and use reusable whenever possible. But we also have a full catering operation. We, com we use compostable plates at some of those events um, as well as, as reusable. So first we prevent the waste. But then when we have it, it all gets composted. So this past year, um, Eureka told us that 94% of what we generated was recycled or composted. So the vast majority of everything that, that would be wasted by, at most places. Um, and that was 53,000 pounds this year. Since we opened, I think we're almost towards 200,000 pounds. So I think it's 180,000 pounds so far. Uh, so it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of what would have been waste. So you, in this last year, 2010, 86% purchased local, organic, or, uh, fair and fair trade. What, what are your goals going forward? Do you think you can improve on that, or is that kind of where yeah. you Yeah, I mean, we're always trying to improve. I think we're not going to improve much. I think 90% is probably in a, a rough ceiling without really dramatic efforts. You know, we're already, that 86% includes already all of our our beer and uh, most of our wine, all of our beverages, all of our produce with very small exceptions. Um, so, I mean, the, the remainder is some cooking oils that we haven't been able to find, um, some, a variety of products. And interestingly, the main challenge in them is they're products that there's not enough of a market for um, to, to, to create food service size organic packaging. So it's really easy to buy fair trade or organic sugar packets. Um, or small quantities for, for people in their home. But there's not yet enough of a demand apparently in the food service and in restaurants to buy 25 pound bags of sugar or 50 pound bags of sugar. Or, you know, it's hard to find organic 
olive oil that's in a food service package and it's all affordable, you can buy a small container for your home. So what I'm hoping is more and more restaurants and food service places are more committed to local and organic and, and this quality of sourcing, we'll be able to continue to, to knock off those handful of, of items that we haven't been able to find um, and meet our local organic and fair trade standards. You make it sound like this is easy to do. Why don't more restaurants do this or, or is this, um, and do you see this as sort of a, a new wave, I guess, in, yeah. in new places that are opening? Um, for us, it's normal. And it's, you know, since we opened, it's, I didn't had no restaurant experience before this. Um, I had, you know, I, I met with lots of good people and hired good people and we figured it out. But for me, it just makes sense. And it's for my staff, you know, it's, it's just what we do. So composting is easy if it's what you do and if you know you have a different bin and, you know, it's, it's sorting things, but it's not hard. Um, sourcing locally isn't hard if you know that you're going to have to change your menu and if you're going to have to work with different vendors who have different things and you're going to have to order from multiple people. So it's a significant commitment compared to, you know, we're doing things the conventional way. You know, we have to, we have to think about it. <laughs> we have to change the menu. I have to have a staff that's really talented and, and knows how to create a new menu every month and how to make different soups and salads every day, uh, working off of what's the best of the season, the best the farmers have to offer. And we have to have customers who care about it and know that you know, we might run out of something and it's, it's not because we're doing a bad job necessarily. You know, it's, it's because we have the limited availabilities and things change and there are floods and there are, you know, farmers have issues and things pop up. Um, but you know, once you make that commitment, it means that you have a product that's more interesting. You have customers who are really excited to see you know, what we're going to have this month. Um, we have staff that, that is really excited to work here every day because they're not going to have to make the same food they've had to make every day. And they're not working off of the back of a semi with food that, that no one knows where it came from. Um, so it's, it's a commitment. It's a significant commitment we make, but it also is what brings customers in the door. Learn more about Common Roots at commonrootscafe.com. Beyond the decisions of a restaurant manager and beyond consumer choice, larger global dynamics of trade and agricultural policy deeply influence which foods are available, to who, and at what cost. President Obama's Feed the Future initiative is designed to reduce hunger and increase food security in developing nations by, in part, unleashing the proven potential of small-scale agricultural producers. However, the Obama administration's pledge to double exports in the next five years is in direct contradiction with global food security and may endanger small-scale producers. IATP's Karen Hansen-Kuhn explains why and what other options the U.S. has to reconcile its trade and development agendas. 
just generally, what is the Obama administration's Feed the Future initiative, and how does it illustrate a change in the U.S.'s government approach? Well, for a long time, uh, the U.S. government and other governments, too, had not been investing in agriculture in developing countries as part of uh, foreign assistance. So starting with the food price crisis in 2008, there was a commitment to do better, you know, to start to think about how to invest in food security. And so the administration had a series of consultations with different stakeholders and launched this new initiative about six months ago, I guess. Um, And I guess the important things about it are, one, that it does it would devote significant new resources uh, to country-led programs, so not just plans developed at a think tank in Washington, D.C., but really efforts led by consultative processes in developing countries. Um, I think the second element that's important is that there's a strong focus on small-scale farmers and women, so they want an inclusive kind of growth. And then third, that the idea is that also within the U.S. government, that there's a lot of coordination among all of the different agencies that are involved in in food security. You might think that it would just be the Agency for International Development, but in fact, it's State Department, USDA, USTR. All of these agencies are supposed to be coordinating their efforts to make sure there's consistency coming from the U.S. government as well. How does the Obama administration's trade policy fit within the Feed the Future initiative? Well, that's where there's a big conflict. Because on the one hand, you have Feed the Future saying, let's strengthen local production of food in developing countries. And on the other hand, we have trade policy that is pushing hard to double U.S. exports, including food exports, in the next five years. So, you know, the experience we've had over the last 20 years is that this is often very harmful to food security in developing countries when they get floods of cheap exports, um, goods produced in the United States that they can't compete with in developing countries. This undermines efforts to strengthen local production. Uh, I think a lot of people know about the experience with NAFTA, where corn, corn exports to Mexico have, have really undermined Mexican corn producers. Something like 2 million farmers in Mexico have been forced out of agriculture. I think there's examples in many countries where trade liberalization has undermined local food production. So, so there's a big conflict there. How could trade policy then be reformed to better support uh, food security and the Feed the Future initiative? Well, I think that the simplest thing would be just for, and a starting point, would be for the administration to state flat out that this drive to increase exports, uh, that they're not going to target this at the poorest countries. There's a list of 42 least developed countries. Um, They could state explicitly that this is not about those countries, um, that we're not pushing them to open their markets anymore, uh, that we're not, that's not the target for our exports. I mean, I think fundamentally there's a real need to just look at what's happened, not only with food security, but with a whole range of policies related to what the results have been of trade agreements. But I would say, you know, so we would want to review the trade agreements. We would want to state flat out that we're exempting the poorest countries. And then I think um, we need to look at what kinds of mechanisms could help to stabilize local food systems in developing countries. There are going to be times when they need to protect Um, local food markets, you know, against surges of imports when prices become really volatile. 
And there are some proposals that have been put on the table in the WTO in different forums um, to do that, which the U.S. has generally opposed. So a different approach would be to say, you know, consistent with the drive to improve food security in developing countries, the U.S. should work with developing countries to find the best way to protect those markets so they really can flourish. Find out more about IATP's trade work at tradeobservatory.org. Radio Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, celebrating its 25th year. Find us on the web at iatp.org. Radio Sustain is produced by Ben Lilliston. Radio Sustain's engineer is Patrick Sy. The music on the program was Tall Fiddler by Deo, Swan Lake by Black Alicious, Psychic City by Yacht, and a sample taken from the film Rockers. I'm Andrew Ranallo. Thanks for listening. Everywhere. So it's just known that the cooperation of all don't collide.